It's time for some cheap talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. Well, folks, today we have another great show. We have another look at the origins of Cheap Trick. And BJ, this is a pretty big one, isn't it? Yeah, this is huge, huge. You want to tell folks who we have on the other end of the Cheap Talk line? On the other end of the Cheap Talk line, we have, I guess, the original singer of Cheap Trick, Zeno, Randy Hogan, Randall Hogan. What do you go by these days? People still call me Zeno. Yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome to Cheap Talk with Trick Chat, the Cheap Trick audio fanzine for your ears. We are so glad to have you here. Uh, there really is no history of Cheap Trick without you. So that, that would be true. I was there from the very beginning. And uh, we spoke with Brian Beebe a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about how he was in the high school choir with you and Robin Zander. Yeah, we all we were all in. Uh, in fact, it was it was a terrific choir. We it's just this little choir from uh, Loves Park, Illinois, Harlem High School, and we would go downstate every year and just kick butt on all the Chicago schools. <laughs> Actually, a number of us became professional singers. It was quite quite the. I would have to say some of the best harmonies I ever heard was in my high school days. So your choir teacher should be proud of all. Oh, this. she was terrific. Yeah, she was terrific. Who, by the way, what was what was her name? Ma Vivian Peterson. They actually named a uh, a facility uh, after her at the school. It was built a, a few years ago. Wow! Wow! That is fantastic. And no, and no relation to Tom. No, none. <laughs> <clears throat> you and never know. We're finding that this town is smaller and smaller all the time, so everybody knows everybody. You never know. That's true. So tell us what you remember as far as like meeting Robin Zander for the first time. How old were you? The first time I saw Robin, I was sixth grade, <laughs> and uh, he sang a, a solo in a choir. For I can't remember the exact function, but it was sixth grade. That was quite a while ago. But that's the first time I heard him sing, first time I, I saw him. And we met in high school and, uh, of course, played in bands together, sang in choirs, were in all the musicals, all that sort of stuff. Uh, his high school sweetheart was best friends with my high school sweetheart. So, you know, we go back pretty far. Wow. In fact, I remember, I remember Gates of putting Robin on the handlebars of my bicycle with a guitar and riding over to brand practice uh, with my bicycle. Yeah, uh, putting, putting him on the... Um, handlebars of my bicycle with a guitar we would ride to band practice and was, what would this have been oh gosh i don't know there were so many little variations over the years you know there was it, butterscotch sunday and um the destinations those are two names that i know of i i couldn't tell you i just i just don't remember there were so many there still are many come to think of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so how old were you guys when you f f formed your first band do you think I'm going to say 14, maybe. Wow. Just amazing. Um, who who basically made up the band? And well, like, the, what, what did they play it, and so on? It so depends on what band you're talking about. Okay. I know that Rob and I played played together here and there. And then um, I don't think we were ever like officially in a band together. Mm -hmm. We may have been. They're just Again, there's just so many. I, I can't remember that, that far back. Now, how did you first meet Rick Nielsen? How 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 did that all come about? Well, I'd seen the band uh, um, 
his, I've seen. I saw his band when I was in high school. What was the name of that band? Uh, the um, The Grim Reapers or Fuse? The Grim Reapers, right, right, right. I'd seen them many times. Uh, I got a call one day from Bunny Carlos, whom I'd, I'd met and I'd, I'd done some projects with. I can't remember exactly what, but we played together a little bit here and there. And uh, they were forming a band, and uh, with the uh, with him and uh, Rick, and a bass player by the name of Rick Saluga, and I want to come over and, and sing. And that's the day I met Rick. So at at this point, how did Bunny get your number, did, and and did you know him? Well, yeah, we we had done some projects together, and we, we Robin, myself, Bunny, uh, John Furland is another guy I knew who played in the Pagans. I played in band with him in college. Uh, Jerry Parlapiano, I played with in high school, who also played the Pagans. So we all sort of knew each other. Right, and the Pagans was Bunny's band. They had a single, right. I think. Yeah. Yes, correct. And so we also they did spoke. Good day sunshine. It's... Right. We also spoke with Stuky, who was the singer in um, Sick Man of Europe, which was basically Cheap Trick, Rick, Tom, and Bunny. And uh, right. he, he was out of that band in May of 73, so how, how how soon were you in? You must have joined right after that, pretty much, right? June. June, right. <laughs> June. So was, yeah. it, was it still called Sick Man of Europe when you joined? Uh, no. We, the first two weeks that we went out and played, uh, we went by the Grim Reapers, and we spent two weeks in... Somewhere, where was it? Minot, North Dakota, tightening up the band. Mm-hmm. It was the first gig we played, some little place in Minot, North, uh, North Dakota. And then uh, the name came a little later. So do you remember how the Cheap Trick name came about or when that happened? I can tell you exactly how it happened. Let me preface this by saying that Cheap Trick loves to glorify stories, and that's yeah. all well and good, and I, and I, I won't, you know destroy any of the mystique of their stories about meeting in the south of France, although it was more like south of Buffs Park, Illinois. <laughs> that sort of thing. But here's what happened. We're at rehearsal one day, and in Rick's parents' garage over on Springfield, or Spring Creek over there in Rockford, and Rick is playing this Mark Farner Freebird, Freebird lick. You know the one. That lick. To which I said, hey, that's a cheap trick. To which Rick replied, that's a great name for a band. <laughs> that pretty much was how it happened. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. And that would have been still the the summer of '73. That's what it would have been. Right. And was that when Rick Jaluga was still the bass player? Correct. So at that point, Tom Peterson was in Europe then for some reason. I uh, I think he was still in Philadelphia. Oh, Philly. Okay. Okay. All right. He came about six months later. Okay. So how soon between you mentioning that uh, Riff was a cheap trick to it actually becoming the band name, uh, when did that happen? Like, like how, how fast was that? Was it immediate? I'm going to say it pretty much immediately. That was the name of the band at that point. Well, it's kind of like lightning strike. You know, you yeah. kind of, this is awesome, you know. <laughs> You gotta it, go. It, with it, it. Kind of, it kind of, it kind of. I'm not being insulting, but it kind of qualifies Rick's playing. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and and Rick Nielsen also gave you the name Zeno, correct? That's correct. And he gave me the name. He said we're going to spell it with an X. I went fine. <laughs> and then uh, a, a while later, I was talking to a friend of mine who taught English at a local college, and he said, you know, Zeno comes from the Greek word xenos. And I personally learned how to say that. Learned how to say that from from Yanni when I played with him. Xenos meaning stranger or alien. Well, it seemed appropriate, so I've kept it. Yeah. 
And I wanted to ask, did Rick also come up with the name Bunny Carlos? You know, I, I'm a little fuzzy on that. You yeah. have to ask Bunny. But was he Brad Carlson when the band started and then he became Bunny at some point? Or Absolutely. Yeah. Persona. Right, right. Yeah, he uh, Bunny had long hair when you guys started, right? He was a long-haired, bearded hippie, for yeah. sure. <laughs> so at some point, he developed this character of Bunny Carlos, huh? Correct. Yeah. And did that happen while you were in the band? I believe it did. Yeah. I have pictures of a, uh, from a picture where he's titled Bunny E. Carlos. Wow. Now, was there any discussion uh, where, as Rick said, I'm going to like kind of look like Hunts Hall from the Bowery Boy uh, meets Pee Wee Herman <laughs> or uh, any any kind of discussion as far as the look of how that evolved or how Bunny's look evolved was there any conscious decision or band consensus that we should do something like this or I mean it was all done for attention I'm sure but well, it was it was more it was more experimental a continuing uh, period of, of experimentation we tried a lot of things and you got to remember at the time, 73, 74, that was the glam period. And so I was totally glammed out. And uh, I remember uh, Rick Nielsen and myself used to go fabric shopping, pick up these wild fabrics, and we would take them to my, my sister's mother-in-law, Mrs. Terrara, God rest her soul, lovely uh, Italian lady who spoke very little English but was a master seamstress. And she would fit us and make us these wonderful sports coats and these wonderful satin pants and things that fit like a glove. It was wonderful. Yeah, there are some great pictures of when you played Summerfest in Milwaukee, I guess, in 74. Right. I still have that jacket. Yeah, yeah, you have a great outfit on in those pictures. Very glam, yeah. So what do you remember about uh, Rick, the songwriting at the time? How did the songwriting happen? Did Rick just bring the songs to rehearsal, or did you did you guys jam and write songs together? Or Well, you know, we when we rehearsed, generally there was a tape recorder going. So, you know, then there'd be things that would happen. As you, if you're a musician, you know, there are things that happened between an ensemble that you could never, you know, uh, uh, script out. They just happened. And, you know, I think Rick would, get, Rick would get ideas from that. And there were times when I would go to his house and he and I would work on a song. And uh, sometimes he would just bring a song to the band and say, here's a map of what we're going to play. Sometimes they would work, sometimes they wouldn't. Wow. And was uh, at the, the point, were you in Cheap Trick for about a year then? About a year and a half. A year and a half. So some of the songs that became famous later on, he must have been writing at that time, right? Like, what, did he write I Want You to Want Me while you were there? No, no, that came later. But, you know, if I go back over the albums, I will, I will hear snippets of songs that we... So, you know, as a songwriter, you go back and you and you you, you take things that, that, you, that you like and put them in other songs and move things around. And so I hear bits and pieces of it. Yeah, Rick has done a lot of that over the years of using the different parts of different songs. Cannibalism. You, you basically you kind of, you know, pull from this to put in that. Yeah. A, good, a good idea is a good idea, you know? Absolutely. Just kind of like the name Cheap Trick. Exactly. Um, at, at this point, had you seen anything that looked like the logo that became the logo that Cheap Trick uh, now still uses to this day? Was, was any no, of that? No, we, 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 we tried a couple of different things, but... But uh, I think that came after I left. Okay. Um, when and where was the Hot Tomato demo recorded? 
was recorded, I think, summer of 74, summer of 73, well, I can't remember, one of those, either 73 or 74, it was in the summer, in some little studio up in Sauk City, Wisconsin. And um, so you only we recorded, recorded that, and Daddy should have Daddy should have stayed in high school. So those are the two songs we recorded. Oh, you recorded, recorded that recorded. as well. I think those are the two first two songs. First two songs we recorded. Yes, that one actually obviously, as you know, that one made it to the first album. Yep. Right. So that first session in Sauk City, you did just the two songs, "Hot Tomato" and "Daddy Should Have Stayed in High School." Correct. And then did you did you record subsequently? Did you record anything with the band in a studio? Um. I don't think I think that was the only recording we did. I was I think you know that I think that was probably summer of seventy four, and I left in October of seventy four. Okay. In in what way do you feel that the track "Daddy Should Have Stayed in High School" did did it very much, or was it one hundred percent there? Uh, you saying the, uh, the track that's on the album how it compared to the yes. original? Yes. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, it's the same arrangement. Okay. And of course, Hot Tomato later on, um, a lot of that song ended up being in I'll Be With You Tonight on Dream exactly. Please.
So uh, I have one live recording of the band when you were in the band from 1974, and the set is made up mostly of covers. Um, oh, sure. But so the covers we played, usually the covers we played, well, the first thing that we did when we started playing was, uh, of course, Rick and Tom had spent time in Europe, and the songs that we picked, the songs that they picked, actually, to perform were covers, but they were so- they were usually hits in, in uh, Europe. And a lot of people hadn't heard them, stuff like the things by Jackie Lomax and some of these other things that people really hadn't heard, so people thought they were originals. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, Rick had a lot of obscure favorites. Right. Yeah.
Well, so when we talked to Stuckey, uh, he told us that most of the Sick Man of Europe set was mostly originals. Um, and there's, a, there's, uh, have you? I'm sure you're aware of the book uh, "Reputation is a Fragile Thing," Mike Hayes's book. Of course. Um, he has a he has a bunch of song titles listed in there that Sick Man of Europe supposedly did, but I guess um, when it became Cheap Trick with you, uh, Rick just jettisoned all of that, most of that, or. We pretty much, you know, yeah, it was pretty much a different thing. Yeah. Did you uh, did you do the song Ain't Got You when you were in the band? I don't think so. No. Okay, because they did that with Sick Man of Europe, and then later they did it with when Robin was in the band, too. I've, I've heard live recordings, like 75, 76, where they used to do that song. Right. So really well, the I, only I, originals uh, you did were Hot Tomato and Daddy, you should have stayed in high school then. Yeah, pretty much, I think. Yeah. Although I, I've recently discovered on YouTube that some of the covers we did, Cheap Trick is now doing again. Things like uh, Please Mrs. Henry by Bob Dylan. We did a version of that, and I've, I've happened to stumble across it on the YouTube and go, well, there they are doing it again. Yeah. Yeah, there's even a version of that on the box set, um, Sex right, American Cheap Trick, yeah. Oh, and, and also Down on the Bay, the, the Move song. Right. Yeah. You can do that one.
you guys cover any Beatles tracks? Uh, I think we did like Get Back and a few things like that. I was just wondering if uh, Day Tripper ever made its way into the set because they, you know, they. I, I don't believe it did, but you know that one is a personal favorite of mine. I won eighth grade talent show with that one. Really? <laughs> yes, one wow. of the first songs I learned to play. You know, me too. It it, it was just such a, a killer riff. It, it just it just doesn't get much better than that. Great song of the day. Absolutely. Well, still, it's a classic. Just amazing stuff. Um, I, I definitely worship at the altar of the Beatles. So, <laughs> well, we all do. You know, Robin and I grew up together and went and played in bands together and went high school and all that. All of us were huge Beatles fans. You know. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. and as the story as the story goes, uh, Cheap Trick had actually asked Robin to join before you, but he he couldn't because of his contract in the Dells, and then he recommended you. Is that is that how it actually happened, or? I believe so. Yeah. So Rick. When- Oh, he, go on. He, so Rick wanted Robin, but he couldn't have him. <laughs> well, it was uh, that was because he and Bunny had worked together. Yeah, Robin and yeah Brian Beebe told us about so a that band was, that called was Bunny's suggestion. Right. Yeah, they had been in a band called Friends, Brian Beebe and Robin and Bunny. Right. So at, when you were in Cheap Trick, did you tour at all, or was it mainly locally playing locally? Well, uh, you know we. If as far as touring Midwest, you know, we we weren't with to to Michigan and out to North Dakota and and to Iowa. We, we we played around a bit, you know. Yeah, and did you open for any nationally touring bands as they came through, or? I don't think we did. No. Okay. Now, when the band Cheap Trick started to make it big, and we were given this fun misinformation about the the band, like they you know <laughs> met in Europe and. Bunny was from Venezuela and all this fun misinformation. How did you react to that? Were you like uh, kind of bummed out that you weren't like really mentioned in history for a while? Because oh no, oh, no, no, no. I, I get it, I get it. That's showbiz. I get that part. And it just went along with the whole image of Cheap Trick and the whole tongue-in-cheek exactly. element, I guess, and all of that. Exactly. Well, what did you think of it when you were first reading it? it was like, did it, did it put a smile on your face, or did it make you laugh, or what did you think? There were there a few still coffees.
what was it like seeing the guys rise up and uh did you continue to check out their shows and stuff like that well you know um for a period of time after i left cheap trick and i moved to minnesota i joined a straight up band we were kind of competitors mm-hmm. and i did and if you know, know anything about that band it was a huge show band and i don't mean with horns and and, and rhythm and blues but i mean uh an actual theatrical show, and uh, so I was doing. I was in, in another place doing another thing at the time. But of course, you know, uh, read about them, heard about them, etc. Yeah. So, so you left. You left Cheap Trick by choice to go join join that other band. Yes. Yeah. Again, you got to remember, I was very young. I grew up in Loves Park, Illinois. I'd never been anywhere. I'd never done anything. And in my mind, at that time, getting out of Rockford was the number one thing in my life. Right. And at the time, you know, who knows, uh, the band was just a bar band. We weren't making a lot of money. And um, people have asked me, you know, do you regret leaving? I'm like, well, I regret not being, you know, uh, uh, a huge international success and making a lot of money and, and all, those, all those things. But who's to say the band would have succeeded had I stayed in the band? I mean, it's just, so much of it is chemistry. Right, exactly, yeah. There's, so there's you, you just don't know. Absolutely. So um, no, point, no point of looking back, is what I'm saying. Did you have an offer to join that band, and then? Oh yes, yeah. They they, they offered and uh, drove up in a big white limo. They offered me twice the money I was making. I could actually afford because at the time I was playing a cheap trick. I lived at home with my parents. Right. I could actually afford to move there and live on my own. So off I went. And I think I've seen one picture of Straight Up, and it was very glam image. Oh the, yeah, the picture that I saw. Well, yeah, I recommend this. Go, go to YouTube and look up. Minnesota Rock History, straight up, you will find an hilarious video. Really? Talk about Spinal Tap. Oh, yeah, check it out. You'll, you'll love it. It's, it's pretty awesome, funny. Awesome. We saved the best best until the last, naturally. We feel the overall award must go to a new rock band called Straight Up. As to what it's the best example of, well, we'll leave that for you to decide. We first met them driving down Hennepin in their limousine. In a town like this where you have everyone having pretty much categories of bands, your bar bands, your ballroom bands, we find that we want to create a new category. for four hours and jump around and scream and, and they jump around and scream and yell at me and I get paid for it.
to more of more of a electric explosive type thing where we want to create the spontaneous poof. Now you were mentioning that that band was a more theatrical band. In in in, in what way and in what did you do? Oh geez, uh, well we just we did original music and we did covers. <clears throat> I mean, at the time, you know, a lot of pyro, special effects had us. Uh, we were way ahead of our time. More like the tubes. Uh, we had a, uh-huh. a scrim that we moved back and forth. We showed live video, recorded video, costume changes. Um, it, I kind of was. Alice Bowie at the time. Yeah, you you actually kind of favor that Alice Cooper look at times when when we like you mentioned some of the outfits you still have the jacket and everything. Right. Uh, you you kind of look like you would have fit in that band very well. The early Absolutely. Alice. So so what was that Minneapolis St. Paul rock scene like at the time you were in Straight Up? It was good. I mean, and at the time, we made a lot of money playing the ballrooms out in rural Wisconsin. You'd have these many ballrooms that were built in the 30s and 40s for polka. Well, of course, they'd have rock bands, and you'd, ha- you'd show up, and you'd, uh, you'd get... Uh, and, and you got to remember, this is the, the mid-70s, and mm-hmm. people would drive 100 miles in a snowstorm to see their favorite band, as opposed to now where they won't drive across town on a beautiful night. Oh, but, uh, you're you would, so right. Exactly right about that, yeah. But uh, we would play these ballrooms in, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, Winstead or a little town in uh, Minnesota, and you get, you know, 1,200 kids show up uh, drinking 3-2 beer and having a great time. It's kind of, uh, there's a scene in the Blues Brothers movie where they play that, uh, like, older place, and it reminds me of what you're talking about, where it's just like these beautiful old ballrooms that were kind of abandoned by the people of the time, and the rock acts were getting a life out of them, correct? Although, I gotta say, you know, they're the, the polka thing was still big up there. A lot of these people, I think Whoopi John Wilfart was one of the guys. He owned an entire town. I mean, and it's funny because you go, if you went to one of their shows, same as a rock show. They're getting drunk, chasing, chasing each other, getting into fights, you know. Same deal. <laughs> a band's a band. That, apparently so. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So do you remember who were some of the other, the other bands in that area that you were competing with at the time? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, Jesse Brady, Kane, uh, Rocking Horse, Sterling. Uh, in fact, I was just up in Minnesota, and I ran across some of those guys. It was, uh, I was back there. I played a show um, about two weeks ago up there and ran across some, some old friends. <clears throat> but when I was back there last fall, I walked into a club, and there was a band playing called Crap, C-R-A-P, <laughs> Classic Rock All-Star uh, Professionals or something, whatever it was. And, of course, I knew four out of the five guys wow. from the old days. And I walked up and said, you guys are still playing the same set list. <laughs> Except yeah. now it's classic. 
Yeah, I was I was going to ask you about the band Kane because I knew they were from that scene and uh, they had that they had an awesome album called The Pound of Flesh, like really heavy early, heavy album. That's a pretty legendary record. Oh sure. Uh, what was that? What was their singer's name? He had a great name, but I can't remember right now. Jigs Lee. Jigs, yeah, Jigs, yeah. That that was a great, great singer. Band. He was a great showman. Good guy. Yeah. Did you play shows with Kane as with Straight oh, Up? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh sure. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and actually, the first time I saw them was uh, <clears throat> in Lake Geneva. Uh, I think it was with Rick or Tom or both of them in Lake Geneva at, uh, what the heck was the name of that little place we used to play? I, I, I can't, just can't recall. The Black Knight. Ah, yes. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a legendary record, that Upon the Flesh album. Yeah. 
stuff. Uh, straight up never made an album, huh? We uh, did uh, a number of recordings, but never released anything. We would, sh- we sure would love to play a straight up song on the podcast. <laughs> well, you, well you, you can find them on uh, uh, iTunes. I think there's "Freezing uh, Slowly." And really, really. Just, just they're out there somewhere. All right, I'll try to track it down. And feeling lots of pain I'm so cold Been out here for hours Reason fast And feeling lots of pain I'm so So how long did Straight Up last? Uh, let's see. I, I moved there in October of 74. The band ended in 77. I mean, it was a constant touring band. I mean, it was a big show, you know. We worked continuously. Basically, we lived it. And for a period of time, I, I lived in... Are you familiar with uh, Twin Tone Records up there? Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah I, I, lived at, at, I lived at the studio there uh, with Paul Stark for a couple of years, and... Uh, you know, people like the suburbs and some of these bands used to rehearse under my under my bedroom. So yeah, the late seventies. That yeah, all of that was was starting to happen then. That whole Minneapolis oh, yeah. scene. Wow, amazing. You of uh, course mentioned- after that band, I I joined a couple of different bands. I played a band called Dare Force. They they're still around from time to time. Dare Force. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Sure, sure. I was in that band for a while. Pretty much, I was in everybody's band. You know, <laughs> pretty much like now. Now, Zeno, you have uh, talked about how you were living uh, at your parents' house during this time, back in the early days. And you mentioned about Bunny having the long hair and, you know, basically the uh, the opposite of what he became known for. And uh, what do you remember about the other guys' families and, and their setups at the time? I mean, were they still living at home as well? or? Well, yeah, we used to rehearse it. Rick's parents' house, and after he moved back from Philadelphia, he, he stayed with his parents, and eventually got a place of his own, got married. Um, I didn't see too much. I didn't really spend any time with Tom, but I think he lived with his parents at the time, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stuckey actually talked about how he lived at Tom's parents' house as well. <laughs> there yeah. you go. And Stuckey <laughs> talked about rehearsing with Sick Man of Europe at Bunny's parents' house. He said they had some money, and they had a really nice place, I think. Oh, gorgeous! In fact, they have uh, a, a, a replica, a replica of an entire western town built around their swimming pool, filled with period antiques. In fact, they they give uh, tours. 
Wow. That's where we did our first promo shot. So uh, uh, I think uh, pretty much all the pictures I've seen of Cheap Trick uh, with when you were in the band, uh, Rick was not wearing the ball cap yet. Did that happen after you left the transition to the ball cap or? Yeah. Yeah. I think that came, came right about the time of the loss of the hair. <laughs> yes, I've I've always suspected that was probably the main motivating factor behind the uh, ever-present baseball cap. <laughs> yeah, because there are there are pictures of him when he is wearing a black T-shirt that says "Cheap Trick," but uh, there's no hat. No, and he had kind of long hair then too. Yeah, yes, he yeah. did. We all did. So how did you come to join Bad Boy then? <clears throat> well, I was living in the Twin Cities, and of course I'd known them as Crossfire for years because we played together the gigs together as when I was in Cheap Trick down at Sammy G's in Kenosha, and um, they came to town a couple of times. And this was right after I had, I had left the Dare Force band, and I was just kind of looking for something to do. They were looking to make a change, and so therefore I ended up moving to uh, Milwaukee, and I've been here for over thirty years now. Wow. Yeah, Bad Boy, great band. Uh, they had the two major label albums in, what, the late 70s? Right. And then there was that uh, private party on which was uh, pretty much like a power pop album. Um, right, and then we, then we did four albums after that. Yeah. yeah so when you joined, uh, what year did you join then? Like maybe 83 or something? 82. 82. Okay, and that so the first album you're on, Electric Eyes, is '84, correct? And that's much more of a hard rock album, so it's it's a right. it sounds a lot different than it, the earlier stuff. It was um, a it's a good rock band, and still is. I mean, we uh, we'll be playing again at Summerfest coming up on the 29th of the of this month. 
uh, opening for uh, 38 Special. I think we've opened for just about everybody that there is. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a steady gig. Yeah, I actually, I actually saw you open for Cheap Trick. <laughs> sure, I've done that, too. Yeah. Unfortunately, now, I used to open for them all the time, but unfortunately now they all have children in man's. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I well, I one th one time I saw you open for them was uh, when they did the entire in color album at the rave in Milwaukee. Um, right, I remember I that. Remember that the was show. the last time I think. So, Bad Boy, Electric Eyes. What label was that on? That was on it's a independent. Independent. So you put it out yourself. Right. 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 And then you and then I also have an e the EP of Girl on the Run after that. Girl on the Run followed by. Uh, my favorite album title, We Should Have Been Dead By Now. <laughs> what year was that? What year is that album? That was, uh, that was about 10 years ago. Okay. Okay. So I have, all the, I have all the first five, all the early ones on vinyl. That one's a CD. Yeah. We moved into the, we moved into the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes it's hard for me to tell which songs you sing um, and which songs Steve Grimm sings on those records. Um, like, uh, is that you singing something ain't right? Nope, that's him. Okay, that's him. So, which songs do you sing on on those albums? Do you remember on Electric Eyes and well, Girl on the Run? Uh, Girl on the Run. I think I sing the title track. Right.
And so these days you have a website, um, xenorock.com, and you have a new album, um, I Still Believe in Rock and Roll. Uh, when did that come it, out? Believe it or not, that's my first solo album. What Your took first? so long? That's going to be the title of my next one. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's for my first solo album, and I uh, <clears throat> originally decided I was going to uh, have all my friends on it, but it just took forever. So finally, I put the, a band together. It's called Zeno and Happy Jacks. Um, my bass player is uh, Bobby Griffin, formerly of the Bodines. I'm sure you're familiar with that band. Yep. And uh, Mark Perrette on drums and vocal. He's awesome. Tom Cole on guitar. He can play all the stuff I can't play. And uh, finally, took them in the studio and just finished the whole thing and, and released it back in October. Okay, and it's available on iTunes. And you said it's iTunes, Spotify. You can get it off my site. Right. There's a, there's a terrific video that I did uh, for the yes, title I song. Look that up. Yeah. yeah, the video is great. Yeah, um, having a lot of fun with that band. We'll be at Summerfest also uh, coming up Thursday the 26th. Okay, so you're on the 26th, and Bad Boys on the 29th. You said right, and I'll also be there on the 28th with Joe 2.0, which is myself and uh, Electrified String Quartet. Wow, who are okay. tremendous, by the way. They are tremendous. All yeah, class A players. There's a really cool video of you on your website with them uh, doing Bob O'Reilly by The Who. Yeah, that's a great band. See, I'm, I'm we, fortunate in, 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 in all these years I've begun to diversify, and I get, I get to play with really great players, so it's, it's fun for me. So the songs in your new album, were they written over a period of years, probably? or, or Well, a couple, of them, a couple of them I pulled out of the past, songs that I had written that I'd never recorded, but mostly it's new stuff. And what kind of a reaction have you been getting? To it oh very good excellent and so Zeno and, and happy jacks do you do mostly songs from from the new album or do you mix it up yes well I mean you know we we've done some opening slots we, we play festivals we do club dates we obviously I don't have enough material from an album to, to finish it so we do some cover things too usually right. something somewhat unique what single would you like us to play off your new stuff well is there, is there with the uh, I'm sorry, why don't you go ahead and start with the, um, the title cut. Why don't you introduce it, sir? I'd be happy to. Here's a song I wrote. It's a true story. I'm not saying about who it's about, but it's a true story. It's called I Still Believe in Rock and Roll. I live my life for rock and roll the only thing that ever soothed my soul They say it's passion, that's what I've been told So I packed up my bags and went out on the road 
left my home just to get away I found a new place where I could play The best of times with friends all around I just got to get back there Cause I love that town I believe in rock and roll The only thing that ever soothed my soul Never had no wife Some people say, boy, you've been living the life And the women I know, I love them just the same Oh, I can't remember some faces, I forget some names I believe in rock and roll The only thing that ever suited my soul So, uh, do you, Zeno? Do you have any other any other stories from over the years that you'd like to tell, or in mixed company? <laughs> oh, lots of stories. I don't know where I would even begin. 
Well, like, pick your top three and, and hit us with them. <laughs> what, what's that? Pick your top three and hit us with them. <laughs> well, that's a tough one. Well, I, I'm probably going to eliminate the bad boy stories because we pretty much lived up to the rep. Okay. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. Managed to stay out of jail. I don't know how. What what were some what are some of your favorite memories from your time when you were in Cheap Trick? Just uh, going on the road, you know. I, I used to room room with Bunny, and he, of course, uh, he and I are still still friends. Have been the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, traveling and, and meeting people, and again, I remember how young I was. So it was all new to me. It, it was a lot of fun. Well, BJ, you think there's anything else that we need, or no? It's been great. It's been great. Check out my website at www.xenorock.com. That's X-E-N-O-R-O-C-K.com. And uh, you can see what I've been doing over the last years and what I'm up to now. There's video, uh, CDs, all kinds of things there. And I was going to ask the two of you what else you think you might play from the from the album. Uh, maybe Wake Up, There's a Party Tonight. or um, That's a good one. Yeah. Or No Personality. Um, or any... See, that's one, of the ones I, that's one of the ones I actually wrote... Uh, and back in the 80s when I was in the Dare Force band, never recorded it. Really? So no personality goes back to, to Dare Force, early yep. 80s. Awesome. So I said, I'm going to put that on an album. Yeah, great. No Zeno, if there's anything we can ever help promote or any any way we can help you, just let us know. We The show is at your disposal. You're part of well, the History of Cheap Trick, and we just want you to know that we appreciate you. Well, thank you so very much. Yeah, thank you so much for speaking with us.
Thanks. Well, BJ, an, another great Cheap Trick Origins episode under our belt, and uh, just fantastic stuff. What'd you think of it all? Great. It's been so much fun to talk to these guys who were so important in the history of my favorite band ever, you know, the greatest rock band ever, and these guys were there at the beginning, and it's just been great to get these stories and learn whatever we can from them. Do you have any final thoughts as we close out this episode? Well, you know, I was thinking after listening to Zeno's account and, and uh, uh, thinking back to when we talked to Stuky, and I know I said several times on that uh, during that interview with Stuky, that Sick Man of Europe, the band he was in with Rick, Tom, and Bunny, I said that was really just cheap trick, but they changed the name and replaced the singer. But mm-hmm. after listening to Zeno's account, I can see that there's a, there was a distinct divide between those two, but that Rick Nielsen, you could see that Rick Nielsen's vision was Sick Man of Europe ended, Cheap Trick began, and even though it was three of the four same guys, this was a new band. Because, you know, Stuky, if you remember back, he said that Sick Man of Europe did pretty much all original material. And none of that original material carried over into the beginnings of Cheap Trick when uh, they were playing with Zeno. Zeno told us they only had, there were only two original songs they did, Hot Tomato and Daddy Should Have Stayed in High School, and those were not Sick Man of Europe songs. They were new. And then the rest of the Cheap Trick set, for the first year and a half at least, when Zeno was in the band, was covers, you know, a, a variety of cover songs. So you could see that Rick Nielsen jettisoned all the old Sick Man of Europe songs and started fresh with Cheap Trick. And so even though it was Rick, Tom, and Bunny as the core of the group with a new singer, it wasn't the same band. Not in, obviously not in Rick Nielsen's vision. This was a new band, Cheap Trick. It was not Sick Man of Europe with a, their na- a different name. So I think, you know, I was wrong when I was saying that on the Stuky episode. And I could see now putting the Stuky story and Zeno story together, I think you can see that Cheap Trick was a new entity, even though you know it was comprised of pretty much the same members. So I think that's pretty... I wanted to correct that, for one thing, from what I kept saying on Sick Man of Europe. And yeah, I think it's just something to think about for a Cheap Trick nerd, that, what, that obviously Rick Nielsen had a vision for Cheap Trick. This was a new thing. that was What he wanted to do was different than what he was doing with Sick Man of Europe. I think you can see that now. Well, very good. And we want to thank you for listening to this episode and uh, hope you enjoyed our origin series. We hope to do more in the future. Our next episode, just a heads up, Mr. Dean Falcone will be joining us and we'll be doing 1983's wonderful album, Next Position Please by Cheap Trick. So be on the lookout and we want to thank you for listening to us and keep cheap tricking. And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap tricking. Um, now... There were, uh, you know, like like you you were you were just BJ. You need to clean this up real big here. My stammering and stuttering. Yeah. <laughs>